So previously, we have <coughs> seen in chapter 11 that Mark described Jesus at his triumphal entry. He came into Jerusalem with people utterly full of enthusiasm, just, just so excited about what they thought was going to happen. He confronted the dirty business and going on in the temple. He had confrontations with the hostile chief priests and scribes and even the Sadducees. In chapter, yes? Is your wireless mic on? Oh, you know what? It might not be. I can hear myself. <laughs> Too much now. Do I need to repeat all of that? Did you hear that, Leroy? Bless you. I can get my hearing down. Well, hopefully he doesn't make it too loud then. <laughs> then in chapter 13, Jesus actually clearly told them that he would be going away. He gave a parable to explain that. Um, and he also told them about that the fact he was going away and when he comes back, before he comes back, lots of bad things will happen. Um, a lot of bad things. Then he observes the Passover in chapter 14 and tells the 12 chosen ones that one of them was going to betray him. And of course, the betrayal implies that something bad is going to happen to him. He leads them to the garden outside of Jerusalem and asks them to pray for him and for themselves. Then, of course, we know, remember, he was arrested. He went through three trials and, uh, with the religious authorities in Jerusalem. And then they turned him over to the government, to Pilate, and he had three trials with the government. <clears throat> the end of those three trials, Pilate declared him innocent of the charges deserving death and turned him over to be crucified. How, how would that be? If you were there listening to Pilate say that he's not guilty, you know, maybe you would get a little sudden burst of hope, but then he turns him over as he's scourged, which many people would die from, and we just can't, can't imagine that. So the people who are following him, his followers who were still hanging around, um, this had to be very, very traumatic for them. How could this be happening? Why isn't he defending himself like he has before, or just walked away? like he has on other occasions. But then he, went, he was crucified. There was three hours of dark darkness. There were earthquakes. Uh, it was a very strange afternoon by that time. And the veil of the temple was torn in two. And then Jesus dismissed his spirit and he died. 
Do you think with the people that are there, there was any question that he was dead? Well, certainly not the soldiers. They had done this countless times, and they were certain that he was dead. John was there, the only one of the disciples that we have record of that was still there at the cross, and he knew they were dead. He was dead because in John 19:33 he he saw that and he saw the soldiers jab him with a spear and saw blood and water come out, which is a clear indication that his bodily functions had stopped. So. The question is, uh, would any one of us, would anyone there have thought anything other than that Jesus was dead and he was going to stay dead? After a lifetime of our experiences of having people die and certainly their lives where mortality was a lot higher than it is now, you just don't expect anything different after that. And so all of the, with, with the, um, you know, even with Jesus' words, their focus was so much on Jesus being the king and coming to redeem them from the Romans. There just was which is obviously in all of the four Gospels, there's no evidence that anyone really expected him to be raised up in three days. So after Jesus died, what happened? What happened to Jesus' spirit? Pardon? No, that same day, that after Jesus died on the cross, while he's still hanging on the cross, I mean, we believe that only the body dies. Our inner man doesn't die. So have we ever thought about what happened to Jesus at that point? Did he go to heaven? Well, we'll talk about that a little bit, maybe. Um, what did happen after he died? What, what day of the week is this that he is crucified on? Thursday. Thursday. No, no, Friday. So we have good, we have good Thursday, huh? That's on you. Yeah. Well, there's, there's pretty good evidence. There is some question about it, but there's a lot of evidence that says it was Friday. And if it was Friday afternoon, what's happening really soon? Passover. Passover, yes. Passover starts when? At sundown. At sundown, and that's also... Saturday, right? No, it's the 15th of 
Nissen. It's the 15th of the month, not, Sunday, not a Saturday or Sunday or Monday. It's different every year. I've got 1 Peter 3. Go back to wrong if you want. Okay, go ahead. All right, it says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, and just the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. Okay. Oh, I don't know exactly <coughs> what that means. But <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that briefly, maybe in a bit. So the next day is Sabbath day, though. Because that's what it says. Where? Since the next day is the Sabbath. So that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, right. for that Sabbath was a high day. Right. He, they, the Jews. Why was it a surprise to Pilate? Hadn't they crucified a lot of people, and the Jews said, "Don't leave them up on the Sabbath." He was surprised that they were dead already. If, yeah. if they weren't dead, they wouldn't have to take them down. They're still alive. So, oh yes, that's why he, they had the broke the legs. So apparently he wasn't that familiar with it. For one thing, uh, we don't, I don't know. <laughs> okay, I can show you evidence why I believe it was Thursday. Okay. But I won't do it. You, you go ahead. You're out of luck because you're not teaching the class. <laughs> Yes, there is, there is discussion. There are people that think he died on Wednesday. I heard a sermon on that a long time ago on Thursday and on Friday. But there is good evidence to say that it was on Friday. Um, there is a, yeah, there is one part of that, but it says right here, that's in John. Well, right, but that was the Passover. So they, they ate the Passover meal, and then he was arrested that night. So the, the Sabbath day for the Jews starts at 6 o'clock that evening. And they did not want him on the cross on that day. And so, yes. So he died, and the Jews, well, and, and I don't know who's responsible for this, but who took care of the body? And I don't even have my Bible open here. How do we know that? Where? I, I need the verse. Okay, actually, we, let's go ahead and read. Mark, if somebody be willing to read those verses, Mark 15, 42 to the end of the chapter. Sure. Thank you. Now when the evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, 
Joseph Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he bought fine linen, took him down, wrapped him in the linen, and laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of rock, and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph and observed where he was laid. So Joseph of Arimathea, have we met him before in the Gospel of Mark? In any of the Gospels? So what do we notice about him? Two things it's mentioned. Well, he's bold enough to go in front of Pilate, right? Okay, why would he have to be bold? Um, because he's in essence tying himself to Jesus by going in front of Pilate. That's right. Pilate could say, you belong to him too? Well, you've got no reason being here either. Right. So, i got some turbulence I can crucify him too. Yeah. Well, there's another reason, though, for him to have courage. Yes, but what kind of a position did he hold? Okay, he was wealthy. Look at the text. Well, that'd be the Sanhedrin. He, he was part of part of the crooked mob but he was a believer and and I believe it says that he hadn't be, made himself known yet he was still a closet believer but at this point he determined it was time for him to come out and went to Pilate and asked for the body now Nicodemus is also mentioned in John that he was also part of that. And Nicodemus was? He was a, yeah, he was a Pharisee too. So here, two of these high ups at this religious organization are making known their, their commitment to Jesus. And they did it in a very dramatic, uh, possibly life-threatening way. So they took him down and prepared his body. Who, who else? Yeah, who else was involved in this burial event, from 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 the cross to the tomb? Mary Magdalene. Yes. Mary, the mother of Joseph. Who is she? Yes, we don't know. You don't need to scratch your head too hard. We, we just don't know. There's speculation. But she's obviously one of the women who had followed Jesus around and was probably the mother of some of the other disciples, or at least one. So who else was involved here? We've got 
Joseph and Nicodemus, we have Pilate. The centurion. He was involved here. He had to pay attention. This was probably not uncommon for him to, to have you know, people hanging around people, though obviously not everybody had friends who would take care of them. There's a record of them staying on crosses until the birds took them apart and took them away. A, a very gross thing, a way of killing people. A couple of other, other people here involved. We mentioned Pilate. We mentioned the two Marys. And of course, you've got the soldiers there too. So all of these people were, were seeing what was going on. And of course, the, you know, when you read about what happened during the crucifixion, there, were, there was crowds around, but apparently the darkness and the earthquake cleared out most of the crowd. So what is the significance of the death of Jesus? That he actually died. Okay, that is significant because... Yes, all the evidence that we have is that he was dead. It's, it's inconceivable that anyone who was crucified would, have, would get off of there alive. That's just... That's just he was just spirit and didn't We're not going there. <laughs> how, how do you crucify a spirit? Yeah. How do you... How do you get blood? Blood? Yes. The evidence is, is thorough. Yes. It was scourged, which was sometimes fatal in and of itself. He was nailed to the cross, which was fatal usually by itself. And then he was um, stabbed in the side with a spear. And it went deep enough to basically um, burst the pericardium, where the blood and the water had separated because he was dead. Yeah, so. Okay. Where do we read that? Okay, well let's let's look at would somebody Yes. Let's start at Genesis 2:17. Would somebody grab that? Yes. Did I write down a wrong number? From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Yes. But from the 
there. So that's, this, that's God's statement that sin will surely result in death. We're talking about the beginning of death. The beginning of death. And also in 3.3, 3, if you're still in Genesis. Yep. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it, for you will die. So who said that? That was Eve. That was Eve. So that was clear knowledge, and, and we've been fighting that ever since. We don't want to believe that. But it does happen. Yes, so we have Romans that says the wages of sin is death. Let's, let someone read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, and 21 to 26. No, 15. Oh, can't even find my own notes here. Yes, three through four, yes. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And he was buried, and then he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. So that was... Who said that? Paul. And just for whatever value it has, Paul was also a Pharisee. But he wasn't being Pharisaical at that point. Verse 21 says... Since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, also in Christ all will be made alive. So death is a natural part and Jesus had to die in order to be our substitute. Without his death, we have no substitute and we will have to die for our sins. So the disciples knew that Jesus was dead because John was there and he communicated that to the rest of them um, along with whatever else the rest of the disciples knew. So the the hope is gone, and certainly the the uh, story in John about the the two going to Emmaus and talking to Jesus. They clearly, you know, to them, it was very clear, and it's really sad that, in spite of what is in the. Old Testament about his predicting that he would die in, um, in Isaiah and in Daniel um, and also Jesus' own words 
death is pretty final to us. We just have a real, real hard time getting past that. So, would someone read Mark 16, 1 through 8, the last of Mark? Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices, bought spices, so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment, had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Okay, so this is Mark's account of the resurrection. Who are the persons involved? Okay, anyone else? Well, they were told to. We don't see that happening here. But who else was witnessing this? It says a young man, an angel. Okay, and here he just refers to one. The other Gospels say there are two. Anyone else witness this? Okay, well, yeah, yeah, they aren't mentioned here, so we have to go to um, is it Matthew that had those guys, yeah, Matthew 28, yeah, so, yeah, Mark is very brief by nature, right, his gospel is the shortest of the four, and he's very brief here, and and we heard last week that it's reasonable to think that verse 8 is the end of Mark, and he just says that it happened. So we thought about why that would be, why Mark would end his gospel just saying Jesus arose and that's it. So you haven't ever thought about that. Maybe he wanted to, I don't know, leave emphasis on that part, just leave it there, that he did rise. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that were saying that he did rise, so I guess that's my thought on the fly. That's my thought, too. Um, you know, when, 
when we... Who's he writing to here? Okay, I'm getting a week ahead of myself here. Sorry. What did you say? What was the question? Who is Mark's gospel addressed to? To the Romans? That sounded like a question, Mark. <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> yes, he's writing to the Romans. Remember, that was part of what we were told all during this year of studying Mark. So the Romans are not Jewish. They're foreign to Judaism for the most part. So if he is writing to them, it's because they are believers. So they've already heard the Gospels, so they would have nothing to believe in if they didn't already believe that Jesus was raised. When we become believers, that's one of the... That is the most obvious clear things we don't we are not saved by a dead savior we're saved by a risen savior that's that's first and foremost in all of our teaching in um, what is paul's uh, summation of the gospel in uh, that's also in first corinthians right Is that what I'm thinking of? I need to make my notes more explicit because my memory goes bad by the time I get here Sunday morning. Yes. Yeah. So that isn't, I mean, that's the basis of what you already know. So there's no real need to go into detail about that. What he has done is given these Romans a brief description of Jesus's life up to that and all those Jewish details, which most of his Roman audience would know little or nothing about. So he has, a, by verse 8, he has accomplished the purpose for his gospel. He doesn't talk about, you know, it's very definitely addressed to people who, don't need to know all the details that Matthew provides, that even John provides. He's just getting to the point. He's, he's giving the salient point. Yes. That Jesus was dead on the cross. Yes. He was put in a tomb. And that when they went to look for him, he gone. <laughs> yeah, and he's talking to Romans again. These Romans were familiar with the Roman army. They were familiar with what Rome did to people they conquered or to, to criminals. There, I mean, there were, there were no... Um, what's the, I should have thought of this word first because I won't think of it, but there wasn't a major uh, humanitarian contingent in the Roman culture at that time. People were able to kill people I mean, you're allowed to kill your slaves if they displease you. They were, you know, death was very common. If, I mean, emperors killed their own <coughs> children and their own siblings. Uh, death was something they were totally familiar with. No Roman would think for a moment that a guy who was crucified didn't actually die. This was foregone 
to them. So this was that's why Mark could be brief about that. It was it was common knowledge. It was not something you would ever discuss over coffee about. This is the critical and unique detail of Christianity, though, is the resurrection. Because no other religion has a resurrected leader. They're all quite dead. So what was, let's see, there's quite a few things to to cover here. Certainly the, the tomb, we need to look at that. When, when Joseph and Nicodemus buried him, they put a stone in front of it. Do we know what else was involved that Mark doesn't tell his Roman audience? So, yeah, let's, if somebody would look up Matthew 27, let's read that little account, a couple of verses, starting at 61. Thank you. 61 to the end of chapter So they had a guards and they had a seal. And of course, to say nothing about the big stone. The other thing, if, if you still have that, this was the next day. What was the next day? It was Sabbath. And who, who's going to pilot on the next day? So they had no end of their bending the rules to do what they wanted. Yes. Didn't think anything about it. It's just amazing. So when the Roman soldiers are guarding the tomb, who's going to, who is proposed to come and steal away the body? And what are their followers doing? I, I. <laughs> right. yeah. I mean, we see the remarkable thing that Joseph and Nicodemus had the guts to go to Pilate and put him in a tomb, but they aren't out there either. They're not about, I mean, they... Well, 
it just, it's just silly to think about it. They wouldn't have gone to any of that trouble if, if they were expecting him to rise the third day. Nobody would be buying expensive cloth to wrap him in or uh, spices and ointments to, to uh, prepare him for being in the grave a long time. The Romans were thorough. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So when they sent the Roman guard there, I'm sure that they rolled the stone back to make sure his body was in there. They wanted to make sure that they are meeting the intent of their orders. Because if they fail, they're dead. Yep. It's their life that's forfeit. So they would have rolled it back, they would have made sure his body's in there, then rolled it closed again, they would have sealed it and they would have been standing guard. Yep, so the resurrection took place without the help of any of his disciples, without the help of the Romans, yes. with, the, with the military. They, so yeah, again, Matthew is the one that gives us the, the report about what actually happened what other things happened at the tomb. So when the women came there, they saw that the stone wasn't over the grave anymore. They had seen that closed the day before, or two days before. And so they were surprised. They were, not, they were concerned about that. How are we going to get in there with that stone there? They didn't, there's no record of them seeing the soldiers. So the event that Matthew talks about, uh, there was a severe earthquake. This is Matthew 28. A severe earthquake had occurred because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat on it. And of course, that, the guards did not handle that well. They shook for fear of him, so they saw him and passed out. They became like dead men. So then, also, yeah, so there's a lot of details here in Matthew that, and in John that we do not get from Mark. So Matthew says that after the the women came there they were told what this we we mentioned this last month but obviously probably don't remember what we talked about then don't be afraid okay they were told to not be afraid and then what That's pretty cool, isn't it? Don't need to take my angelic word for this. Come and see. And then what were the instructions? Go and 
Who are the who are they supposed to tell? What's significant about that? Why did Mark throw that in there? Peter has just denied him three times. What about the Peter? He was probably the one that needs encouragement the most. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, the others left, except for John, but he actually denied him and there were a lot of witnesses to his denial. This was in the courtyard of the high priest when that happened. So there were a lot of people around, and these are people that Peter is going to be talking to here in a little bit. Peter may They may have to look for him, maybe. They may have had to look for him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, sure, they were all in hiding. I mean, but yes, that was... So, so it's... to make sure they understood Peter was still is part of them. He was part of the group. And Peter. Yep, I'm not finished with you yet. Okay, then the next thing it says that, of course, they were scared and astonished. They were afraid. They fled from the tomb. Any thoughts on why they would still be scared? The angel told them not to be afraid. The tomb is empty. What would you have to be afraid of at that point, other than the bright, shining angel? The Roman guards? The Romans about retaliate. Yeah. The priest? This is a crime scene. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, there should have been yellow tape all over the place here. Well, yes, <laughs> that, that definitely is, that definitely is, but the guards passed out, and according to Matthew, they did not arouse, so they were probably still there. It says that after they left the tomb, um, while, while the women were on their way, some of the guard came to the city, and we think of you know, two guys, but there were probably four, maybe 10 or 12 of the guards. And it's the other thing that struck me really crazy is that Pilate told the chief priest that you have a guard. They were part of the religious, what's the word? Um, They were part of the religious organization. The chief priests had their own Roman guards that they had access to. And we saw they had a, um, what was the term of the group that came when they arrested Jesus? Could have been you know, hundreds of people, hundreds of Roman soldiers. They had amazing access 
to the to the military to at their own disposal and to the point that they came into the city and reported to the chief priest. They obviously didn't go to their centurion because that would not have been a wise thing to, to tell. Yes, and the chief priest gave them a large sum of money. This is important and promised to keep them out of trouble. It's a very strange relationship here between the Romans and the chief priests and the Sanhedrin. Very, very strange. And then, of course, they concocted the story that they were to tell people that his disciples came while we were sleeping and stole him. Yeah. <laughs> What? Yeah, they were all asleep. Yeah, at the risk of their lives, they were taking a nap. In John 20, it says it was so dark when the women went to the tomb. So they went there knowing the threat that there was and ah. the danger that they were in. Okay, good point. So anyway, we've established, Mark has established clearly for us that he was dead and that he was buried and sealed and that no humans got him out of there. Jesus left and then the stone was rolled away to show that he wasn't there anymore. The body wasn't there. And again, John gives a lot more details because he again was an eyewitness. He showed up there too after the women told them that he that they saw the angel and that Jesus wasn't there and he and Peter ran to the tomb. So he was with them that morning because he and Peter and John were together. Makes you wonder what Peter and John were talking about all night after that event after the denial of that whole next day. I have to ask them. I wonder if John was being critical of him. Yeah, so the next verse of John 20, verse 2 says, So he ran, came to Simon Peter, and to the other disciples, who disciples whom Jesus loved. So you know, Peter was there with them together. And then it talks about how John beat Peter to the tomb again, just like uh, we looked at few weeks ago in John 21 when Peter jumped out of the boat and got beat to Jesus by the other disciples. <laughs> which he knows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah which John knows. Very clearly. Way, yeah. I beat him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, have you, ever, have you ever stopped to consider I mean, what if and I, I'm not obviously I'm not saying this is true, but what if Mark was in the gospel of the God is so kind and loving to us to let us know that Christ appeared to the disciples. He spoke to them and spent time with them. He ate with them after his resurrection. I mean, the, the hope and the encouragement that comes from that is astounding. It really is. Well, it is, and it's evident 
that it changed their lives. I mean, I mean, the the Peter before the crucifixion and the Peter after Pentecost is just a totally, totally different person. He actually stood up and addressed the people and accused them of killing the Messiah. I mean, here he was scared for his hide you know, a month before, and now he's, it's like it has no effect on him. What the thought doesn't even enter his head at this point. And that is the point that we should have too. And it's really shameful for me uh, how, how something that has become so undramatic, which it should be so dramatic to us every moment of our lives, because Jesus' resurrection is just as astonishing to us is because we weren't involved with it, the fact that it did happen should change our lives. Because that's, it's a unique event in all of history of the universe. Um, it's the most important event in the history of the universe, and we just get so comfortable so quickly with, with things. It's, it's just really, really shameful to me that I am not more... Fearless. Yeah. That should take all the fear away from us. All fear. We, we serve a risen Savior who has promised to take care of us through death. We have nothing to fear. Absolutely nothing to fear. Any other comments? Um, actually, I have one closing comment. I've just been really focusing this year on Acts 17, on Paul's little sermon on Mars Hill in the middle of Athens, talking to the intelligentsia of the day. Um, in Acts 17, he stood in the midst of the Areopagus. I used to know how to say that word, Areopagus, which was the marketplace. And it wasn't just a marketplace for goods and services. It was the marketplace for ideas. That was the, the um, it was, in fact, the news media of the day. That's where you would go to hear the latest of what, who was thinking. And he stood there and told these modern people who are just like us in America. He said, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. For he himself made all gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitations. 
So, he, I mean, you, we know a little bit of, about Greek thought and theories and Roman thought and theories of their gods and how they, everybody had their ideas of how the universe came into existence, how you had all these gods. It's, you know, just a whole lot of ideas. You know, and this is of hundreds of years of Greek thought and now Roman thought mixed in. And he's telling us this very simple, brief, explicit explanation of how everything came to be and who did it. He said that he did this so that they would seek God and perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even of some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. We don't make God. And that's what he's accusing them of. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So here Paul is saying that all men know about Jesus' resurrection. So even now, after all these years, you know, we still, in dumb stupidity and goofiness, still celebrate the resurrection in America. It's just amazing. 2,000 years later, we're still the world is still aware of it. They haven't erased that. They haven't made it illegal to do that yet. So it's, yes, it's, it's, yes, it's, and they, they're trying to erase it, but they haven't totally erased it yet. We, and they won't either. So that's what we should be impressed about beyond anything that we care about. Anything else? Okay, I was going to make comment, but we have a half a minute. So that comment by Peter that Jesus went and proclaimed to the persons that had been disobedient during the, at the time of Noah, he proclaimed to them. Our neighbors here say that that's, the second chance that everybody gets. But first of all, he didn't preach the gospel to them. He proclaimed what, what was the last thing that Jesus said before he died? It's finished. And he was telling them everything that they were making fun of now is completed. And they are guilty and they are in bounds. They are held in bondage until judgment day. 
But Jesus told them, added terrible pain to their existing pain, but thank you for being patient and for multiplying. It's pretty good. There's more than double in here than when we started. Thank you.